Jaswami Maharaj Prabhupada Ki Jai. This confounded child of Prabhupada Ki Jai. Dr. Koti Vaishnavindra Ki Jai. Ramacharya Srila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai. Rain Chiko Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhupada Shri Dwight Gadadhar Shri Basari Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopinath Shamakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai. Matur Dhamma Ki Jai. Nabadut Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Jagannathur Dhamma Ki Jai. Gangamai Jamuna Devi Ki Jai. Bhakti Devi Ki Jai. Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai. Samaveta Bhaktarinda Ki Jai. Gaur Pramananda. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Shiva Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Shimati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deva Gauravani Pacharane Namaste Sisindavadi Paskatade Sitarane. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavam Sucha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitam Sucha Vanchakalpa Chivistra Kipasindavi Vachapti Tiam Pavane Yovarashnavega Nirvana Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya it's August 24, 2015. Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 5. Vidura's Talks with Maitreya, Text 33. Kalamayam Sayogena. Bhagavad Vikshitam Nava Bhagavad Sparsham Sparsham Kala Time. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Thereafter, the personality of God had glanced over the sky, partially mixed with eternal time and external energy, and thus developed the touch sensation from which the air in the sky was produced. Purport. All material creations take place from subtle to gross. The entire universe has developed in that manner. From the sky developed the touch sensation, which is a mixture of eternal time, the external energy, and the glance of the personality of Godhead. The touch sensation developed into the air in the sky. Similarly, all other gross matter also developed from subtle to gross. Sound developed into sky, touch developed into air, form developed into fire, taste developed into water, and smell developed into earth. Kala Mayamsa Yogena 
Bhagavad Vikshitam Nabha Nabhaso Nushritam Sparsham Vikurva Nirmane Nilam. Thereafter, the personality of God had glanced over the sky, partially mixed with eternal time and external energy, and thus developed the touch sensation from which the air in the sky was produced. So here, Srila Prabhupada's making the point that things go from subtle to gross in the great creation. This is the major creation. And we see first it's the sense objects that come into creation, and they come into creation through spiritual energy and through the subtle forms of the material energy, and from the sense objects come matter in its various forms, as space, as gases, as radiant energy, as liquids, and as solids. At all of these, you know, we tend to think in the opposite way once we're embodied in the material world, we tend to think that the gross is more important, and we tend to give our attention to the gross. When we want to change things, we try to change them on the gross level. And, I mean, sometimes that's reasonable. If there's too much sunlight coming in your room and it's fading your paintings, you put up a sun-blocking shade, (laughs) you know, You may move where you put your altar or you change the time that you eat. So certainly there are times when gross solutions are applicable for gross problems. We're not at all saying that every gross problem or every gross desired object should be solved on the subtle platform. You know, if you need to buy something, you walk there or you drive there. So there are we don't want to unduly psychoanalyze everything, nor do we want to even unduly suggest that there is some deep, you know, spiritual solution for every problem. That's, uh, on an immediate level, that's not true. You cut your finger, you wash it, you put some medicine on it, you put a bandage on it, and it's not that you have some deep spiritual solution immediately for a cut on your finger. At the same time, the reason that we have all of our situations is ultimately a spiritual problem. Srila Prabhupada would make this point that the hospitals cannot solve the ultimate problem of disease and death. And in fact, we see that disease is increasing in modern society, even with amazing medicine on the gross platform. Incredible, incredible surgeries that can be performed, micro-surgeries that can be performed with robots and, you know, where (laughs) the doctors are looking through a microscope or through a computer to do the work and you can transplant hands and transplant faces and so many amazing things, but still uh, diseases are not, disease in general as, as as a general object, a particular disease may be eradicated, but disease has not been eradicated and people are living longer than they lived a hundred years ago, although they're not living longer than they lived thousands of years ago. But it's not that old age has been stopped, and it's not that death has been stopped, that through gross solution one cannot stop that. And it's not that adiyatmic, adibodic, and adidaivic miseries are going to stop just because we have a gross solution. You know, you can put up a new curtain to block the sun, But that doesn't mean that the miseries caused by the demigods and the planets and the weather has been stopped in general. 
You know, I, I took my morning walk this morning in the pouring rain, so I was wearing a poncho. But, you know, although I wore the poncho, so my clothing didn't get soaked, my skin didn't get soaked, still it doesn't stop the difficulties from the demigods. The ultimate solution for those things is a subtle solution. I mean, if we look at all of the difficulties in our life, everything, we find that the ultimate solution to them is not on the gross platform. And the same is true for the positive things that we want. So we have negative things we want to get rid of, and we have positive things that we want. Indeed, it is because of those two that most people come to Krishna in the first place, as Krishna explains very nicely in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Who comes to Krishna? They come because they want something, or they want to get rid of something. Sometimes people come out of curiosity. You know, is there a God? What's going on in the universe? And so forth. And occasionally, people come who are already Brahman-realized, and they want to go further. But generally, we want things, either we want to get things or we want to get rid of things. That's usually our, our difficulty. And someone who's a little intelligent understands that the way to do this is on the subtle platform. The way to get what I want in the world and the way to get rid of what I don't want in the world is not to just work on the gross platform, but also to work on the subtle platform. And the ultimate subtlety, of course, is spiritual, and the ultimate spiritual is God. So this is what more intelligent people do. However, we find that even among the more intelligent people who understand that it is going to God who's going to get rid of what they don't want and get what they want, uh, even those people are not ultimately intelligent. The ultimate intelligent person realizes that it's not just a question of going to God, but it's a question of going to God with the proper, subtle consciousness, myself. Going to God for the right reason, going to God with the right mood. I mean, we even discover this truth within our relationship with other human beings. If there's some other human being who has power that I don't have, to destroy something I don't like or to give me something that I like, it's not just a question of going to them, but it's a question of going to them at the right time, at the right place, in the right mood. It's interesting that if one studies the details of the modes of material nature that Krishna gives in the uh, 17th and 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, I also will find somewhat in the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, we find that sometimes the demarcation between the modes many times perhaps, is whether or not it's a good time, it's a good place, what the motive is, and what the mood is. So just being able to figure out that the solution to gross things is subtle is very rare. I would hazard a guess that a large portion of the human beings walking around the planet right now in 2015 in Kali Yuga think that the only way to solve gross problems is on a gross level. They don't even consider the subtle level. If someone's really in the mode of ignorance or at the lower parts of the mode of passion, they don't even think about the subtle level. They don't think about adjusting their mentality at all. And then there are some people who think, oh, I need to adjust my mood. I need to adjust my mentality. I need to adjust my desires. And then of all those people, 
There are some of them who say, oh, I need to do, go to the spiritual, not just the mind. I need to get even more subtle. So few people think beyond the body and, and gross matter to the mind and the intelligence. Right? There's a whole industry, how to change the world using your mind and your intelligence. Huge, huge industry in business and the personal sector and relationships. And then some few people among them say, oh, let's go to the spiritual, let's go to God. And even fewer people among them say, let's go to God for ultimate liberation. And then fewer people among them say, let's go to God for love. So very, very few people go to the ultimate subtle solution. There's some good indications in the Bhagavad Gita of how things go from subtle to gross. Now, perhaps the most well-known is in the 8th chapter, that our next body is formed by our thoughts at the time of death. Of course, that's not the exclusive formation of our next body. As Krishna also explains, I believe, in the 13th chapter, that we get a set of senses grouped around the mind. So the bodies that we get are dependent on our thoughts during life. I mean, Srila Prabhupada in the 8th chapter has purport after purport explaining that it's what we think about during our life that culminates in the thoughts at the time of death. And what we think about during our life is dependent on so many things. But the gross body is, the senses of the body are grouped around the mind. In general, our thoughts... Our mind means thinking, feeling, and willing. Our thoughts, our emotions, and our desires. That's thinking is our thoughts. Feeling is our emotions. And desires is our willing. So what, we, what are our thoughts, emotions, and desires throughout our life? It's forming our next body, even as we're going through this life. And then particularly at the time of death, because as we've discussed so many times before, at the time of death, you're losing everything of this life, and you try to hold on to that which is most important. Exactly, exactly like, you know, if your house was on fire, you try to grab what's most important to you as the house is burning down. You know, it's a natural thing that you want to just grab what's most important. Uh, let, me, let me take this with me. Right? You're on a sinking ship, you're going to jump into the lifeboat, you, you grab what's most important and you take that with you. Or at least you want to grab it. You, you aim to grab it, you yearn to grab it, you're, you're desiring to grab it. So the thoughts that we grab at the time of death indicate to the Supreme Lord and to his associates like Yamaraja what we really value and what we really want. Right? Because nitya nitya nam chaitanas chaitanya nam eko bahunam yo vidadati kaman that the Supreme Lord is fulfilling all desires. As they surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. So Krishna, as a, as a person who's reciprocating, the self-sufficient philosopher who's been fulfilling everyone's desires from time immemorial, so he's noticing our desires, like we notice the aroma of a flower. I have a gardenia from our garden on my altar, and periodically throughout the day yesterday I was noticing the fragrance so the Krishna in our heart, he's noticing the fragrance of our thoughts, our emotions, and our desires. And then we get a gross body, 
and not only gross body, but a, a whole life. What family we get born into, when we get born, you know, particular astrological chart of our birth, which is not, people think that the astrology means that the planetary vibrations are controlling you. It, it, it's like that, but not exactly like that. It's more that uh, one's astrology, one's palmistry, is a map to one's desires. It's a map to one's destiny that's been crafted by one's desires. So the whole story of our life, it's kind of like if, if you went to a movie director and you said, you know, I, I want to have a movie like this. And this should be the plot, and these should be the characters, and, and the director draws up a storyboard and writes a script. And so it's really like that. We were going to the supreme movie maker, uh, Maya Devi, and we're saying, you know, I, I want a story like this. I want a story like this. And that's developed according to our desires. So not only our whole incarnations, our gross body on a, on a kind of a macro scale, but even on a subtle scale from day to day, I mean, Krishna has the fall-down sequence in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, and it again goes from subtle to gross. It starts with contemplation of the objects of the senses, then one develops attachment, then lust, then anger, then bewilderment of intelligence, and so forth and so on. But it starts with uh, thoughts. It starts with contemplation, and then it goes from contemplation to attachment. So it goes from, from thoughts to emotions. And then from attachment it goes to lust, which is desire. And then from thoughts to emotions to desire, it goes to more emotions. It goes to anger. And then it goes to bewilderment and falling down into material activities. We see also as that that's on a very uh, mini-scale that subtle to gross is on a minute-to-minute scale, a day-to-day scale. And then we have also kind of in the middle, you could say midi scale, where Krishna says, Karanaguna Sangasya, Sadasad, Janmayonishu. So that is also macro, but it's during our life, as we associate with the modes of material nature. Things change within our life and from life to life. And that's also subtle to gross. The modes are very subtle. Uh, most... Uh, persons on the planet today aren't even aware of their existence. But yet, as they're associating with them, uh, therefore, karna, it becomes the cause of what's happening to them in their life, good and bad, and again, what happens at the time of death. And this basic principle of subtle to gross doesn't only operate within the material sphere. So the examples that we've given of the time of death and the fall-down sequence and association with the modes those are all going from subtle to gross within our lifetime and from one lifetime to another. But there's also subtle to gross on the spiritual platform, the ultimate solution. As we said previously, so many people try to solve their gross problems or get their gross desires on totally on a gross platform. And other people operate materially on a subtle platform. And those are the examples we've just been talking about. And then there are other people who, oper- who go to the spiritual, who operate on the most subtle platform of the spiritual, going to God either as a Sakama devotee or as a Niskama devotee, as a Prema devotee. So this process of subtle to gross is also described very nicely in the Shastra. 
you find that Krishna emphasizes when he talks about the way of achieving uh, liberation and the way of achieving love of God, the way of achieving his abode, he's always talking about subtle to gross. I mean, he mentions, like he says, manmana bhava madbhakta madjadi manrasu manmevasasya yuktaivam atmana madparayana. Always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, and offer obeisances to me. So worship and offering obeisances are gross things. And always think of me and become my devotee are subtle things. Think of me as thoughts, become my devotee is emotions and desires. And Krishna says this again, maya shakta manaparta. Always think of me with a shakti. Always think of me with attachment. You know, focus your mind upon me. Mam anusmaram yujyacha. Remember me while you are fighting. So with, with mind dedicated to me, with thoughts dedicated to me. And Krishna talks about what kind of subtle things to avoid. Not being attached to the results. Not trying to be the owner or the proprietor. Giving up envy. Right? being neutral towards the things in this world. So that, that's all subtle, being neutral to heat and cold, happiness and distress, honor and dishonor, friends and enemies, gold and stones, and victory and defeat, and all these things. To have a, a neutral stance, that's a subtle thing. And he'll, Krishna will say, but if you do this, if you focus your mind on me, if you become neutral to the world and focus your mind on me, he says, then you achieve a state of samadhi, where you, he says, upon gaining this, one thinks there is no greater gain. And this is actual freedom from all miseries, uh, from material contact. So everything that we want to achieve and everything we want to get rid of can be ultimately found by that process of the subtle now, Krishna does not say, upon gaining this, he thinks there's no gain or gain because he's become the richest, most beautiful, most famous person in the world. And nor does he say this is freedom from all difficulties arising from material contact because now all his enemies have been killed and the weather is always perfect and etc., etc. So he doesn't say it like that. He says that uh, one thinks there is no greater gain and one is free from all miseries because one has achieved a different state of consciousness. One has achieved a different state of being where one's perception has changed. One no longer perceives the world in the same way. We talked last time about perceiving space in the sky in such a way that it sparks remembrance of Krishna. And here we're looking at the air and touch. I mean, all of us are touching something at the present moment, right? And here, Srila Prabhupada says that touch is a mixture of eternal time, the external energy, and the glance of the personality of Godhead. So that's kind of interesting. So whatever you're touching right now, uh, that ability to experience a touch sensation, so whether what you're touching is smooth or rough, hard or soft, cold or hot, uh, sharp or smooth, uh, that touch sensation is a mixture of time, uh, the mater- external energy is maya in general, and Krishna's glance. Uh, Krishna's glance that, a- that agitates, that awakens time and maya to produce something that we experience through the gross and subtle body as a touch sensation. So one starts becoming aware of the things in this world in a different way. Instead of just being like an animal, 
well, here's a touch sensation. Is it a touch sensation that I want or a touch sensation that I don't want? And what we define depends on circumstances, depends on the conditions. So normally we want to touch something that's soft and smooth, but if we have an itch, we might want to touch something that's hard and rough. Depending on the external temperature, we may want to touch something that's cold or we may want to touch something that's hot. When it's hot out, a cold bath is very pleasing. When it's cold out, a cold bath is great. Tapasya. So we may think of touch just like that. But one who comes, who changes their subtle existence, who changes their consciousness, who changes their mentality, they're perceiving the Lord in touch. They're perceiving premanjanatri tabakti vilochanena santasa They're perceiving Krishna everywhere. They're perceiving Krishna in space. They're perceiving Krishna in sound. Krishna says, I am the sound of the ether. They're perceiving Krishna as air. When Arjuna saw the universal form, he said, Krishna, you are the air. So how do we change the subtle? So how do we come to that state? And this is something I believe that all of us already know, but it it doesn't hurt to be reminded of it. And the way that we change the subtle primarily is through hearing. Now that includes reading, certainly, uh, but in my experience, hearing is often more powerful than reading, not always, but often. To hear somebody read the scriptures, uh, to hear Srila Prabhupada's voice, to hear the the voice of of, uh, realized devotees who are speaking the Shastras and who are singing the Holy Name. Uh, What we hear about, uh, but not hearing just, uh, like what do we say in English, going in one ear and out the other. So not that kind of hearing. Sometimes we're having a conversation with a person. We may have even asked them a question. Sometimes children do this. They ask a question, and you tell them the answer, and then five minutes later they ask you the same question, and you say, why do you ask the question if you're not listening to the answer? And not that kind of hearing. Not the kind of hearing where after we finish reading the Shastra, what did you read today? I have no idea. What was the class about? Uh, I don't know. It was a great class. What was it about? So hearing with rapt attention. And in order to hear with rapt attention, Srila Prabhupada explains in the first canto, one has to have a moral life. Otherwise, one's hearing will be distracted. And then contemplating, remembering. This is also on the subtle platform. Contemplating our, our chanting, not just chanting superficially. Contemplating what we hear. Mm. contemplating Krishna's lila. Uh, I mean, I keep again and again running into places where Prabhupada says, as we chant the holy name, immediately we remember Krishna's form, the deity form, then Krishna's qualities, and then Krishna's pastimes. And then also planning. Prabhupada says the way we destroy our lust for things in this world is we make plans for Krishna's service. How can I do a preaching program? How can I publish a book? How can I help these individuals with their Krishna consciousness? How can I help myself with my Krishna consciousness? How can I get get nice items for worshipping the deity? How can I make them beautiful dresses and so forth? And then association, just like Karnaguna Sangasya, Sarasad Janma Yoni Su, by associating with the modes of material nature, we become entangled. So just like Rishabdev said, that just like in this, materially speaking, the door to hell 
is association with materialistic people, especially people interested in, in sex. And he says, similarly, the door to liberation is the same kind of association, but with saintly persons. And who we associate with has a huge effect on our, uh, our mind, intelligence, and ego, and a huge effect on our soul. Who we associate with has an effect on our mind. We think about them, we think about their activities, or we think about pleasing them, or we think about avoiding them, or we think about what they talk to us about, we think about what they look like. Right? They have a huge effect on our mind, they have a huge effect on our emotions. We are very affected by the emotions and desires of the people with whom we associate. We don't want to be radically different from them. Most of us don't want to uh, be radically different from the people we associate with. We want them to like us. We want them to approve of us. So we tend to mold our emotions and our desires in such a way that they will be pleased with us. Also, we tend to think that their emotions and their desires are good because they're the people we hang out with. And we think, oh, if they like it, then I would like it also. And we tend to be involved in the activities uh, that they're involved in, have the same goals that they have, and therefore the, it molds us. It, it molds our life. It, it molds our destination. And there's also a very subtle aspect to the association with saintly persons because Rupa Goswami explains that the saintly person can give us spiritual life simply by desiring and having well-wishing towards us. It was said that Narada had well-wishing towards Prahlad in the womb, and therefore Prahlad attained Krishna consciousness, just by the glance of a saintly person. Because, as we've explained before, the Lord is neutral, and His mercy follows the mercy of the devotees. And if we're associating with the devotees and trying to please them, then naturally they'll feel affectionate towards us. Of course, sometimes the devotees feel affectionate towards the utter loser, you know, like Narada, who felt affection for Nalakuvera and Mani Griva, Nityananda, who felt affection for Jaghai and Madai. Sometimes that happens. You know, the Lord who kills the big, big demons. Just like we notice this as a teacher, and that the teacher tends to give their attention to the students on two ends of the spectrum, either the students who are really trying hard and well-behaved and really sincere, or the students who are real problems. Those are the two students who tend to get most of your energy and attention and thought, and the, the, the average kids tend to get the least. So one could get the mercy of the sadhus by being particularly bad, uh, particularly evil, but that's not advised. Um, mostly one will get the mercy and the well wishes of the devotee by being very sincere in our service of them, uh, by rendering very nice service. Just, you know, we have these stories of Ishwar Puri who served Madhavinda Puri when Madhavinda Puri was at the last stages of his life, an invalid. And Ishwar Puri served him even by cleaning up his stool and urine and, and doing menial service for him. And he became blessed to be the spiritual master of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And there's so many stories like this where the devotee, by rendering menial service, Admaraj Pradhaparudra, by sweeping the road, by facilitating Ramananda Roy's being in Jagannath Puri with a full salary, although he was uh, not required to do his jobs anymore, full pension, received the grace of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So uh, that is the way. 
to get the mercy of the sadhus. And the sadhus also, their association is very involved again with hearing and contemplation. How are we, what are we going to hear? We have to hear from the sadhus, even the shastras, mostly the words of the sadhus. And they will reveal those words to us as, as we serve them and as we associate with them. Uh, really, there is nothing sweeter to develop our spiritual life than the association of devotees. Uh, sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastrakor, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhihar. Srila Prabhupada, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, he started his ISKCON movement. He says in the Nectar of Instruction, text 4, to facilitate the loving exchanges among the devotees. Of course, there's a lot of non-loving exchanges that happen in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, but at least for ourselves, we can be the the giver and receiver of the loving exchanges that also happen there. And that was his purpose, to create a, a sangha, to create some association, a sadhu sangha. Satam prasanga mamavirya sambhado, bhavanti vidkarna rasayanam kata, tajyoshinavat papabhargavarkmini, shvaravatir bhakti anukramashiti. So by this satam prasanga, this deep association with devotees, we, we hear about Krishna, we talk about Krishna, we see their advancement and we think, oh, I, I want to be like that. I, I want to be happy like that. And we think, oh, they can do it. Well, if they can do it, I can do it. Okay? And we become inspired. We get faith. We get support, which changes then our destiny. And eating proper prasadam, you know, the food that we eat, it's not just gross to gross. It's not just that, you know, we're eating some piece of bread, we're eating some rice, and it's turning into bones and muscles. That's not the only thing that food is. I mean, if we think about what is food, again here, uh, subtle to gross, what is the food made out of? It's made primarily out of sunlight. The plants with photosynthesis turn the sun into the plants. It's made mostly out of light and water and a little bit of earth minerals. Which means that, that, and it gets transformed by the fire of digestion into our gross body, but it's also feeding our mind. The mentality of the person who grows the food, the person who uh, sells the food, the person who prepares the food, it all affects our mentality. I once had the misfortune of being at a temple where some of the cooks were very violent, uh, quite literally physically violent. And the people who ate their cooking also tended to become violent. It was, it was quite interesting. So the mentality of the cooks. I mean, nowadays people are not very careful about what they eat. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, if we eat food cooked by non-devotees, our mind becomes wicked. So I grew up in a family where we had a food business. My father ran factories that sold food. And sometimes as a child I would visit the factories and the mood in these food factories was horrible. I mean, the people who worked there, they were very low-class people, and their, they, their mood was all, this is just my job. You know, most people notice that when they go home, they eat the cooking of their wife, their mother, their loved one, that there's a different sense in the food than something that they just buy from a factory. It has a whole different mentality about it. And that affects our mentality. There's a controversial form of photography called, uh, I think it's called 
Crimean photography. It was used a lot by the Russians when they were investigating subtle powers. Maybe they're still doing it, I don't know, but it used to be in the former Soviet Union they did experiments with subtle powers hoping they had military uses, which I'm sure they do. And one of the things they developed was a kind of photography that could capture the aura of something. So whether or not one accepts this as evidence, uh, that's up to the individual. But anyway, they, one of the things they photographed was food. And they found that the mentality of the cook changed the kind and degree of the aura. So if the person cooked something lovingly, the food had a much brighter, a bigger aura. And if someone even touched food in an angry mood, it changed the aura of the food. So the person serving the food also... And then what to speak of exactly what's in the food? Is the food made of all sorts of chemicals and preservatives? And I'm sure and certain that a lot of the diseases of modern society are due to the fact that much of what people are eating and calling food is not really food. And then also we become affected subtly by being in sacred places. We go to Vrindavan, we go to Mayapur, go to the places where Krishna had his lila, to Jagannath Puri, where Lord Chaitanya had his lila, Jagannath is there. We go to the places that Srila Prabhupada went to, we go to the tree in Tompkins Square Park. Uh, these things affect us. Setting up a sacred space in our house, creating the, an altar as the central point in our house, it changes our consciousness. It changes our consciousness in a very obvious way, that Krishna is the leader and master of the house. I offer him all the food first. I offer him all the money first. I give him an account of what's going on in the house. But even in, a, in an unconscious way, just that the deity is there. I mean, there's statements in the Shastra that anyone who dies within so many miles of the Shalagram Shila becomes liberated. So we have some Shalagram Shilas here. Maybe that means that our neighbors on the street who don't even know that we have a Shalagram Shila here are getting free from karma just by living on the same street. So these sort of effects are, are there, Atmavirya, that have their own potency. So all of the things that we desire to get or the things that we desire to get rid of, undoubtedly on a day-to-day basis, in an immediate sense, we can think of gross solutions to gross problems. You know, the toilet doesn't work, and you don't just sit down and chant Hare Krishna and perform, you know, a yagya. <laughs> the toilet doesn't work, you, you pull it out and you look at the plumbing and you get out a wrench and, and so forth. But the fact that we are in an, an environment where we need to use toilets, and the fact that we're in an environment where things break, and the fact that something breaking or whatever disturbs us and causes us pain and suffering, the ultimate solution is really found in, on the subtle platform. And so that's the platform to which we should give the majority of our attention. Yes, we have to give some attention to doing gross things for gross things. That We, we have to do that. We have to sleep, we have to eat, we have to... Uh, use medicine, wash our clothes. Of course, on the highest platform, one doesn't even have to do that, like the six Goswamis who hardly ate and, and hardly slept, uh, that one uh, Vamsi Das Babaji who didn't even wash his clothes and didn't sleep or eat or pass stool or urine. So on the highest platform, one actually doesn't even need to do that at all. But 
at least the majority of our effort should be, how am I doing with the subtle? What am I thinking, feeling, and knowing? What am I doing to change the subtle? Whatever the problems are in our life or whatever we desire, what am I doing on the subtle platform? So if we have any questions or comments, Hare Krishna. Madhavi, uh, in the last part of your lecture, you focused on the focusing on the subtles. But previous to that, uh, you mentioned about the external changing subtles. So can you tell me the ways to change the subtle? Uh, because uh, it seems that we change the external to change the subtle. If we just hear the last part of your lecture. All right, well, I listed... Uh, materially, I listed ways of changing the subtle through our association with the modes of nature, through what we contemplate. Spiritually, I gave several things that we can do to change the subtle. What we hear, what we think about and meditate on, how we plan with whom we associate, uh, what we eat, and how we develop our place, what place we're in, what place we go to, and how we develop our place. So those are some of the main ways given in the Shastra for how we change the subtle. And, and when you say whom we associate as actually whom we are revealing to, not just hanging out? Uh, well, it's interesting, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in his Bhaktiloka, when he talks about association, he talks about it being primarily intimate association. I mean, all of us obviously yeah. associate with materialistic people in a superficial business way where we're not really helping them to become Krishna conscious and nor are we really taking anything from them. You know, the, the person at the post office or the person at our job or the persons at our school and so forth. And that's, that's not considered to be a satsanga unless we start exchanging, you know, the loving exchanges with them. Of course, we can also... In many cases, perhaps all cases, when we associate with such people, try to give them our association, try to do something good for them to help them in Krishna consciousness. At the very least, just desiring that they become Krishna conscious is a way for us to deal with them where we benefit them and we don't become contaminated by them. Okay, thank you very much. subject of doing things for others, you sort of talk about two things. One is helping others in their Krishna consciousness, and then acting for our own advancement. You know, I was thinking that by helping others, that's probably one of the greatest ways to help our own selves in spiritual life. Absolutely. I mean, even on a material level, there's a lot of psychological evidence that if you're sad or depressed, if you go do something to help somebody else, it will change your own mood. I mean, that's just even on the modes of nature. Because what are you doing? When, whenever you help others, you're moving up through the modes. Helping others is at least in the mode of passion and sometimes in the mode of goodness. So if you're in the mode of ignorance, if you come up to passion and goodness, you get out of the mode of ignorance. As far as in bhakti, uh, helping others is one of the primary ways to please Krishna. Krishna says, there's no one more dear to me than someone who's giving Krishna consciousness to others. So as soon as we do that, then immediately our own consciousness changes. And we, we get out of the, 
the main problem of materialistic consciousness, which is it's all about me. And everybody should be serving me, and everybody should be helping me, and what are they doing for me? Me, 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 So it's serving others is one of the main ways of getting out of that. Of course, if we serve others with the idea I'm serving them so they'll give back to me in the future, it isn't much better. Uh, but even that, frankly, is better than not serving others. Even even serving others with a view to get something back, which is in Rajagun, is much better than ignorance, where I don't care at all about pleasing anybody but myself, even on an immediate platform. And ultimately, you know, to serve others so Krishna will smile, whether the other person reciprocates or is pleased or not. And that is on that platform we come to ultimate selflessness and ultimate happiness. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any greater joy that probably all of us have experienced in spiritual life is when we're helping someone and we and we see someone advancing. Somehow we allow ourselves to become the instrument of Prabhupada and the Parampara. And, and we see by accepting that position, watching someone, you start talking about how we're not the body and the purpose of life, and you see that they actually start to get it. And we're that instrument. It's, it's just so joyful. And it, whenever we're preaching, I think we find that our our realizations go so much deeper. Sometimes we're speaking, and it's like, boy, where did I get that? The realizations. Last night I was speaking at, at the Sunday program to guests about um, about time. You know, just talking about how time is destroying everything. And I don't know where I was getting this stuff. I was just going deeper and deeper and deeper how time is just destroying everything at every moment. Everything at every second is being broken down and destroyed by time. And uh, it was just so joyful seeing everyone um, getting it and and, and, uh, just going deeper into spiritual life. It's Well, that's the essence of the spiritual world, where everyone is happy by making everybody else happy. That that is the spiritual world. That every entity there is focused on giving happiness to everybody else, and that's how they experience their own happiness. Envy is just the opposite. Envy is, I'm happy by you being unhappy. That's envy. And I'm unhappy when you're happy. Like Prabhupada says, we don't like to admit it, but generally other people's happiness makes us unhappy. You know, there's even these studies that when people use social media, you know, generally on social media, people try to present their best self. You know, they they present, oh, look at how, you know, my husband and I, my wife and I, we love each other, we have wonderful kids, we do all these exciting things, right? So most people on social media, they're presenting a very skewed view of their life. So, you know, here I am leading my actual life, which is very mixed happiness and distress. Then I look at these people's sanitized life. Oh, look how happy they are. They're always smiling. They're always hugging. And, you know, they're in beautiful places. And instead of feeling, wow, I'm so happy that they're happy, I become more and more depressed. And this is the the studies. You know, this is the. If you think about why people uh, like celebrity news, they love celebrity news so they can put down the celebrities. They love having news of oh, this. This celebrity got divorced. This celebrity has a drug problem. This, you know, 
So the material world is based on I take happiness at your suffering. Oh, I'm so glad he suffered. Well, he deserved it. You know, that was his karma. <laughs> and when you become happy, I become very depressed. I don't, you know, I had someone ask me the other day, should should I stop following this person on Facebook or why? Well, I don't know. They, all their pictures show them so happy and it really bothers me. <laughs> so that's our, our general mood, you know. But in the spiritual world, it's just exactly the opposite. Of course, there is no distress there. But basically, everybody's happiness is multiplying everybody else's happiness constantly. Everyone is happy, and by their happiness, I become happier, and by my happiness, they become happier, and by their happiness, I become happier, and it just keeps exponentially increasing on and on and on and on. Anybody else? Yes. Thunderbots. Uh, okay. I took a lot of notes. Great class. You're very articulate. I can't... Uh, anyway, I really got some, a lot out of this class. And um, many years ago, Shudamarsh, uh, he told us once that uh, pollution... Um, like uh, this verse in Kirkwood, like so many things, comes from subtle to gross. He was making an example. He made this as an example of how things are coming from subtle to gross. And it starts with sound. And it starts with lying, dishonesty. You know, in India, lawyers are called liars. You know, basically, you know, they're representing clients. And the truth is secondary to defending their client. But uh, one example is the tobacco industry lied for many years, you know, to resist the the idea that uh, the smoking is producing horrible uh, diseases. And uh, I just saw a powerful presentation where someone was saying that meat is the new tobacco. You know, also there's a lot of propaganda and the government subsidized, you know, uh, slaughterhouse business, you know, and greed is running everything. And then one last example is acid rain in Canada. Uh, for many years, everyone knows it's coming from these factories in the Midwest. But when the complaints come from the Canadian government, the U.S. government, because they don't lose votes from that region, you know, lose jobs, whatever, they respond by forming committees to look into it. So there's no real honest uh, honesty there. So the pollution of the, you know, sound pollutes the air, pollutes the water, pollutes the, you know, the earth. So everything gets polluted, you know, from a subtle plane, and also dishonest government support corporations like Monsanto and other companies, like you pointed out, that are producing so much polluted food, and all this is polluting everybody's bodies, minds, and hearts, you know, so subtle to gross. Well, thank you. That was very profound. Hare Krishna, Mother Thank you so much for the 
wonderful class by just um, uh, looking at Prabhupada's report and uh, I see this correlation. I wanted to, if you can uh, expand on this, if, if, um, if it's, it looks okay to you, but uh, then it's, uh, in Purport Prabhupada said that uh, sky is a mixture of, can somebody mute, I think, of Vidagda Madhava, could you please mute? It's too much. Thank you. Uh, that the sky is a mixture of eternal time, external energy. That's the touch sensation. Right, but that composition, that uh, eternal time, external energy, and the glance of personality of Godhead. So, um, the Jiva Goswami mentions, I believe, in, in Pritasandharma about uh, that on a certain level, devotee, without any endeavor, just by thinking, just remembering uh, Krishna, he can get in touch with Krishna. And uh, then, and, and also it's described just like a aroma of some flowers or something that that suddenly, that, that, you know, that's very suddenly and very quickly without endeavor, just... So then I see this purport that uh, it's in the air, the glance of personality of God. Do you see any correlation and could you expand if it's my understanding is right? I'm not exactly sure what you're asking me. In general, the way that the gross material creation gets started is the mixture of these three. So you have, when Mahavishnu is sleeping, everything goes to the Pradhan. The material energy becomes Pradhan. And in Pradhan, there's no differentiation of anything. If we want to talk about it in modern scientific language, maybe we could say, I'm not sure, but maybe we could say something like, the atoms have broken up because according to modern chemistry an element is understood at the atomic level an element is something which retains its quality down to the atomic level like gold is gold even as an atom so there's a differentiation uh, between oxygen and hydrogen and gold on how many electrons and so forth so in order to have no differentiation you'd have to break up the atoms There'd have to be, you know, everything broken up into it. So it it's like, uh, you know, if you were to go into the kitchen and all you have are the ingredients. Nothing's been combined. Nothing's been made out of them. So that's the Pradhan. And what happens is first the Lord glances. And here Prabhupada's differentiating time and the glance as two different things. But in many places the glance of the Lord is identified itself with time and is identified also itself with Lord Shiva. Prabhupada says when Krishna says Kalosmi in the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he's speaking in his persona as Lord Shiva. So the, the Lord glances at this material energy, and it's described in the Bhagavatam. It's like if, if a man who has more than one wife, and one wife is awake and enjoying with him, and the other wife is sleeping, and he wants to wake her up. So the material energy is basically sleeping. And the glance and the form of time wakes up the material energy. And as time wakes up the material energy, the first thing that happens is the modes of material nature manifest from this pradhan. The pradhan starts grouping itself 
into the modes of material nature, but that's still pretty amorphous and, and pretty subtle. The, the modes are a very subtle thing. And then from this grouping of the modes of material nature, there's the entrance of sound. And the entrance of sound starts forming the modes of material nature into space. We, we start having something called space. And it, the, the concept of space being created is very strange to us because space to us is just a given. Well, of course, there's space. There's always space. But in the spiritual reality, there's no space like we have space. I mean, we can draw a painting, you know, of the Vaikuntha planets existing in space, but it's not like that at all. There isn't material space. So this material space comes into being from sound, and then the space itself starts to morph again by this, what started as the glance of the Lord in the form of time, touching the material energy and, and agitating it, it starts to morph into more and more gross uh, manifestations being moved by this sound. So it starts morphing into touch and then into gases. When we say air, we don't just mean the, the layer of atmosphere around the earth planet that we breathe. We mean matter, all matter and gaseous form. And then from there into radiant energy, and from there into liquids, and from there into solids. And this is all manifestation of sound that was agitated by time as the glance of the Lord touching matter, touching the, the amorphous form of matter. And then from that position, we have the great Mahabhuta, the great elements, and then comes mind, intelligence, and false ego. And still, though, there's, there's just, these things are existing in their, how would you say, nothing's been made out of them. You know, it's like at this point you have flour and water and butter, but you, you haven't cooked anything yet. So then you have the secondary creation. And the secondary creation, uh, once you have these great material elements, then the Lord exa again expands as Garbhadakashai Vishnu, and he produces Lord Brahma, who through the austerity of only meditating on the Lord, that is the primary austerity, to only meditate on the Lord, then the Lord enters into the chakras of Lord Brahma, starting with the Mula Dar, going up through the Vasudha chakra, as sound, again the sound, and from then the sound comes out of the mouth of Lord Brahma, and as the sound comes out of Lord Brahma's mouth, He's able to take these space, gases, radiant energy, liquids, and solids and combine them into various planets with different atmospheres, different kinds of oceans, different kinds of bodies. So he's, he's taking these that are in their very general form and he's turning them into specifics. And then on our individual level, as Vidag Dimadava Prabhu so nicely pointed out, we also go from subtle to gross, primarily using sound. And we create our own little universe. We create our own room with our chairs and our beds and our bookcases and our computers and our pots and our fire for cooking. And, and our, we create our own little world, like Lord Brahma created the big world. And ultimately, we created this body, uh, the subtle body and the gross body, through sound. So there's all different levels of creation that are going in the same 
way. I, I hope that answers your question. Maybe it just makes things more difficult. I don't know. So I think we will end here. Shila Prabhupada ki jai. Jai. Thank you.